Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Sisters Who Kill. Okay, listen, y'all, you know that we have been trying to use this equipment and every week we do something different and I don't know what happened this week. I There's an echo. Please do not yell at me about it on the internet. I am trying to figure out what, what I did wrong and how not to do it again, but um, I'm sorry. I've already cried myself to sleep. And if you yell at me on the internet, I'll probably cry more. So this episode is honestly really great. No podcast that we've seen has just has done this episode. And we have some really great discussion. So stay tuned to the episode. Gird your loins. Marah is personally sorry. I'm gonna go ahead and speak for Tazzy. She apologizes too. We are figuring it out. And we love y'all. Enjoy the show. If you're listening to this, you probably already know what I'm about to say, that today is the day for you to start your podcast. You have everything that you need, your computer, a little microphone, and Spotify for podcasters. It is the all-in-one platform where you can host, edit, and record your podcast and distribute it everywhere. Where you're listening right now, you can have your podcast there. I promise, for real. And it's free. And you can make some money off of your podcast for free. Free money. Free money is out there. Just go get it by starting your podcast today. Streaming October 6th on Paramount+. Plus. First place I learned about death was a pet cemetery. Dead things buried in that land. But come back. There's something else. Something's wrong with Timmy. He needs time to adjust. That's not Timmy. Something's talking through him. Sometimes dead is better. Pet Cemetery Bloodlines Rated R streaming only on Paramount Plus. What's going on everybody? I'm Mara and I'm Tess and welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. Okay, so you know how when you are learning how to write a paper in elementary middle school and they tell you to form a question, you ask who, what, when, where, why, and how. You should have those answers for a full story. This one, it took a while to get there and I don't know if we got it. All right, so let's go ahead and get into our players. First, we have David Johnson. This is Monique's boo thing. We have Carl Michael Howard. This is David's cousin M. We have Corey Knox, who is the local Louisiana plug. We have Corey Kitts. This is Monique's husband. This is also the victim. And then we have Monique Kitts, our murderess. Okay, so this week's story takes place in Addis, Louisiana. Louisiana, 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 Louisiana. That's how they talk. Bring your mic closer. That's how they talk. Um, which is right outside of Baton Rouge. So Monique Kitts was born in 1969 in Plaquemine, Louisiana. She was the youngest of five siblings, and her mother described her as a good, easy child. Like she didn't have no problems out of her. While in high school, Monique was very popular. But she wasn't really an athlete or anything. She was kind of into the community service clubs. You know, Habitat for Humanity or something. I don't know. I don't know exactly what she is. But the the community service clubs. She was always known as a nice, as a caring person. And she always dreamed of working with kids. So she attended McNeese State College. But decided that, you know, college wasn't for her. And she dropped out after two years. Then she moved in with her sister and she got a job at Walmart. That is where she met 
Corey Kitts. Corey Kitts was born September 7th, 1969, and was also originally from Plaquemine, Louisiana. He attended Southern University for a little while after high school and ended up dropping out of college as well. He was known as outgoing jokester, and he played the drums and loved to get his hands dirty with work. Corey and Monique were around 21 years old when they met each other, and Corey had already had a daughter from a previous relationship. Right. Once Corey and Monique fell in love, they were inseparable. They eventually gave birth to their first child together, a daughter named Dory Kitts. The two got married, and by the time Monique was 24 years old, she stopped working at Walmart and began to work at her sister's daycare. She worked at her sister's daycare for a while and then ended up opening up her own daycare. It's like her dream, right? Like right. working with kids. It is. And see, what had happened was Corey got a job down at the chemical plant, and they said this job paid good money. Like, Then he, I guess, was able to fund her daycare, and she was able to leave her sister's daycare and start her own. Right. So they were business partners, yeah. basically, even though he didn't handle the day-to-day. He was like that silent partner, probably still made important decisions you think so in the, in the i mean maybe he probably probably invested money i think if their husband was about the, it but like kind of it's i just need you to fund it but it's like my shit and his shit is over there and maybe she had plans to buy him out one day yeah that's what i would do you know her daycare was doing really well she expanded even had to get a bigger place so then she ended up expanding they were doing really well so he's got his good ass job she's got her uh successful as a daycare mm-hmm. they sitting pretty right one of the big things is that like her daycare, she had it set up because there's some daycares have it set up so that if low income families can get government assistance to go in. So the money comes straight to the daycare and the kids get to go for free. So finding those daycares that you are good quality government assistant money, it's a hassle at first. But once you get it, that's a guaranteed check. You don't want to let it go. Yeah. Yeah. And so this was kind of her dream. She got to work with kids. She ended up when she had her she had her son, her second child, had him growing up in the daycare like didn't it's have perfect. to worry about you know what i'm saying Got it's to perfect if that's, if that's something that you really like something that you're passionate about mm-hmm. and i'm sure if you like working with other people's kids you're gonna feel guilty being away from your kid and so, so having it you have along there, is perfect. perfect they trying to move on up like this couple they started off in walmart and she was staying at her sister crib staying at her sister crib i feel that you you want to come up they left and built their own house okay mm-hmm. built their dream home they went to the suburbs they picked a real nice neighborhood they built their dream home and they were like this happy family with the two kids looking like the berenstein bears out here it was mm-hmm. perfect i mean yeah they done came up in they didn't come up overnight like you can tell that they really worked for it. like 2000 is when he got the job at the chemical plant they uh-huh. didn't open up they didn't get a home they didn't buy a home till 2006 yeah and they met in what early ni- late nineties? Late nineties. Come on, that's that's a that's a long time to be with somebody and hold you down and really see a growth, you yeah. know. But you know, and they're high school sweethearts, right? Like, are they high school sweethearts? So because they met at Walmart. So why did why did the snap? Just because keep they saying went, just they because were- they went to the same high school and they were born in the same year does not make them high school sweethearts. <laughs> I want to get into later about the Snap versus Tamara Hall and Snapped in general, but I don't think this is the time. Let's just finish the story. Y'all just stay to, tuned to the end of the podcast because I definitely have something to say. Their, their house that they built, it was this never-ending project. Corey's mm-hmm. pretty handy around the house, so he's like adding additions to it. He's never really finished with it. He's making a deck. His daughter says that after he built the deck, he was going to put a jacuzzi on it. Like They was trying to live their best fucking life, okay? Right, so on June 9th, 2010, Monique pulls out $4,500 from the bank. 4K of that was for bills. Well, one source said it was for bills. Another source said it was for Disney World. Right. <laughs> they was like, Corey handles the but bills. Saw, and they I, was like, but the couple was going to Disney but World. But I saw, I saw 
I saw more sources say Bill, so let's just say Bill. And Corey at the plant, he worked nights. So Monique usually left the money, like their routine was that she left the money on the nightstand in cash and he would go and do what he needed to do once he woke up from working the night shift. He usually didn't wake up until around noon. It was kind of routine for them. He wakes up and the money is not there. So he calls his wife. He's like, hey, uh, you know, you leave the money here. Where's the money? She's like, oh, yeah, I left it on the dresser. I mean, on the bedside table. Like I said that I wouldn't. He's like, it's not here. And turns out Corey had already been suspicious because like that earlier that day, he saw this red car kind of lurking out in his neighborhood. And remember, they don't move to the suburbs. Ain't no cars just lurking outside. So he was already nervous to the point where his daughter, he warned his kids before they left, hey, there's a red car outside. Y'all be careful. Like, had this nigga on high alert. But the daughter was like, I'm not taking that seriously. Right, of course. I mean, she, she, okay, daddy, whatever. So Corey is upset. He's paranoid about this money missing. His wife says the money's supposed to be there. He saw a suspicious car outside, so he calls the police. And the 911 call is so weird. It's like, I may have lost money. Where I may have gotten robbed. I might. I'm. I. I think something happened. He describes the car. Okay, and this is where the story really doesn't make sense to me. So he ends up having to leave to go to work. He's waiting on an officer to come. He has to leave to go to work. So the officer pulls up. So he makes this nine one one call. The officer pulls up. By the time the officer gets there, Corey has to already leave because he's got to be at work. I don't understand how you call the cops to your house and not be there. So this is what. I'm thinking, like, it's the suburbs. First, I was thinking niggas, like, they not going to pull up to to the hood. But they live in a nice neighborhood. So why weren't the cops there faster? I saw a source that said the police were there in two minutes. But I, I just can't fathom that in two minutes, I called the police, I don't know, brushed my teeth from my sleep, washed my face, got dressed, and left the house for work in two minutes. Or maybe he was calling the cops on the way out. Well, the police ended up having to wait outside for 20 minutes, I I guess the officer was just waiting to see if anybody showed up or waiting to see if there was anybody there. Corey obviously is gone. So Monique Monique shows up. She got the kids. It's uh, the afternoon. This is their normal routine. And she's like, oh, yeah, my husband called me. He said that he saw this kind of car, kind of talks to the police. Yeah, the $4,000. I don't know. We probably misplaced it, blah, 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 blah. The police take the report. They leave. Later on, Monique calls up the police officer that she wrote the report with and said, oh, the $4,000 was found in the washing machine. And they're like, oh, okay. Case closed. The car is really what's most important. It was a, a red Trans Am. All right. Things seem to go back to normal for only a short amount of time until Friday, July 9, 2010. Around 1 p.m., Monique comes home with her two kids, Dory, who's 18, and Corey Jr., who's uh, 11. Once they walk through the front door, Monique kind of pulls her hand out like, uh, stand back. And she kind of look around. She sees some broken glass on the floor. She's a little concerned, and she starts calling out for her husband. Corey! Cor, are you in here? The kids are like, Dad, <laughs> Dad, come on, stop playing. You know, because he said Corey was a jokester. He played too much, yeah. He wanted them to people, yeah. So they make their way up to the master bedroom, and she sees Corey in the bed, and she touches his foot like, nigga, get up. And when she touches his foot, she realizes he's dead. Monique starts, he's clearly been shot. In the head, there's blood everywhere. She's screaming. Her kids are screaming. Everybody's going crazy. walk into this tragic scene. So Monique gets on the phone. She calls the police. She's crying. She's hysterical. The police arrive, and no one is outside to greet them. The door is open, and they can hear her screaming from the master bedroom. Monique and her children are still in there, you know, crying over the body, you know, questioning everything. You want to read this and go and try it all again? All again? Well, at least from 
I just felt like you have said crying and screaming. They were cry- that's crying. that's all they were saying, crying and screaming, and Monique falling over. I was like, am I saying crying and screaming? No, because they did? still were crying and screaming. All, that's what people do. They <laughs> cry and they scream. Yeah, it says she starts screaming. She starts screaming. Oh, my Everyone goodness. Everyone was screaming and crying. Everybody, that's what happened. They hear screams. They hear that's how, screams. That's how the police the cr- cr- police came in. They were still screaming and crying. That's what. Those are the facts. Those are the facts. The facts are screaming and crying. <laughs> screaming and crying. What do you want me? Wailing. What, we, we can, do you want me to look up some synonyms? No, I just think they get what's going on. No, they don't. don't. It, it was a mess. It was a mess. What would you do? I'd be screaming and crying. Yes. And y'all would find me in there screaming and crying. There's nothing more that I would be do that I, would I could do. The, she called the cops. And that's what she did. She walked in, she screamed, and she cried. I she think the, the only cops, thing that I would have done cried. different is I would have ushered the kids out of the house because the police came and they weren't outside. Like, I definitely would have. But I guess when you're in such a state of shock, you don't know what you're going to do. And I might have got them out the room. I don't know if I'd have put them out the whole house. Yeah, I would have definitely got them. Or, or checked the house. Is there somebody in there? Yeah. This is going to take forever to edit, dude. I'm so sorry, friend. <laughs> Woo! The police arrive and usher the family out of the house because it's now officially a crime scene. Right. Um. When they get there, they look around the house for evidence. <laughs> Many of y'all are familiar with. We're looking for forced entry, signs of forced entry. We're looking for fingerprints. The whole um, nine, round it up. The house is messed up. So in the kitchen, there was a baker's wrap and it had glasses on it. The baker's wrap was knocked over. So the glasses are, that's the glass that she saw broken all over the floor. Mm-hmm. There's an end table. It's flipped over. So it kind of looks like the house has been ransacked a little. So they're like, okay, let's see how they got in. Let's see what they took. Right. Nothing was stolen. No signs of forced entry. They get to the bedroom to look at Corey's body. They see that he's been shot in the head three times with a nine millimeter. Once in the ear, once in the cheek, and once in the neck. There were shell casings surrounding the king-size bed where he lay. It was clear that Corey was still asleep when he was wounded. Mm. They also said from where the perp was standing that they could tell that the person was basically stationary because of how the shell casings fell. After looking at the body, they're checking out the master bedroom and they're like, hmm, even in here, none of the dresser drawers are open, you know, but we're going to see they've been messed with. They open a dresser drawer by the bed. And they see a gun. It's Corey's gun. Not a nine millimeter, but still. A gun. Yeah. Just something he had to protect himself. (sighs) Except for when you sleep. (laughs) Listen. Except for when somebody knows your sleep schedule. Listen. Now to the detectives, it's looking less like a robbery gone wrong and more like somebody who knew him and had access to him came in. They're starting to put together a few things, the police. One, there's no forced entry into the home at all. Two, there seems to be nothing taken from the home. When this was supposed to be a break-in. And three, the way that the furniture was overturned and the way things were broken, it just, it felt staged. I stole some shit around, so it looks fucked up in here. It's kind of crazy because, like, having no evidence, there's always some some evidence. evidence. And now they're starting to have to look between the lines. Right. In the bedroom, there were no drawers pulled out. Like, the drawers in the bedroom hadn't been ransacked. Right, everybody's looking for a sock drawer. It's not really feeling like a stranger attacked them. So, of course, now thinking it's somebody close, they want to talk to Monique and her children. But none of them have much information to provide because they walked into the crime scene. They're clearly upset. And on the Tamron Hall show, 
the detective said that the children were unconsolable for a long time and Monique was crying on the floor. Screaming and crying, like I said, (laughs) like everybody is. And yes, you heard that right. Tamron Hall has a, a true crime show that has seasons, like seasons. She's got a nice voice for it, too. Mm-hmm. I like it. So they take Monique and the kids down for questioning. What happened? What were they doing all day? Where, where were you? All of that. And they tell everything that happened. Monique tells her about her day. The kids tell about what they did. They don't have any idea. No, his, their father doesn't have any enemies. They have no idea who would do this. So detectives find out that Dory, their daughter, actually had a boy over the night before, like snuck him into the house and then snuck him out the next morning. So detectives are like, okay, is this a situation of like a Lori Cooper? Is this a uh, off my daddy type of thing? Is this, they were trying to see if like Dory or this boy, or maybe um, Corey woke up and saw this boy in his house and something happened. Like what People were trying to figure out maybe there's a connection. So they bring Dory in and they're like, why didn't you tell us that you had a boy at the house? And she's like, I, I, you know, if anybody knew that I had a boy at the house and I would be in trouble, like my dad would be upset. I was upset. I didn't want to, you know, she's a teenager. Like she was sneaking niggas in and out of the house. She was sneaking a nigga in and out of the house. So they end up, but he hasn't, she's like, he has nothing to do with it. Like Dory is like, yeah, I had him in the house, but he has nothing to do with it. He has absolutely nothing to do with this murder. I just didn't want nobody to know that I was doing something I ain't had no business doing. So it doesn't take long for the police to find him. And he goes out to the station. The police are like, well, were you there? Did you kill um, Dory's father? He's like, no, I did not. Like, how would you think? Why would you think I did that? I absolutely, yeah, I snuck in and out the house, but like, I didn't kill her dad. And they take him down to the station. They're questioning him. They're questioning him. He doesn't know anything because he has nothing to tell. And finally, they're like, okay, we'll take a polygraph, which like polygraphs aren't even admissible to court but and he was nervous like my man could have failed that thing but he passed with flying colors because he had nothing to do with (laughs) this with the murder yeah so he was he's free to go so detectives are stuck they are back to square one they don't know what to do so they're like okay let's pull Corey's phone records maybe they'll have something that we need in there you know phone records can phone records can tell you everything who you talk to where you've been so they pull Corey's phone records and turns out he's been talking to quite a few people, like six people, six women. He had six hoes on the side that he was talking to consistently. And so now the police are like, OK, we have to clear six women's names. And then one woman in particular was talking to Corey the night before. Like, you know, he works night. So when he was about to go to sleep or whatever and pulling the whole like, come over, you want to see me? I don't know. I want to see you. Are you going to come over? Come see me type of shit. Right. So they end up pulling this woman in for questioning. And she's like, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, we were texting like that. And um, yeah, I was messing around with him. But I didn't even go near his house. He didn't come over. We didn't even get to see each other. You know, we was just talking. And so they end up pulling her phone records. They pull up her phone records. Turns out she was far away from, not far away, but she wasn't on, she didn't ping on the cell phone towers that close to his house. So six women, because he was fucking around with six women on his wife. I want to keep repeating that. So they ended up clearing her name. So the detectives, they go and they pull Monique's phone records and they see that Monique had a few frequent numbers going in and out. And one of those numbers belonged to a man named David Johnson. The detective was like, all right, let's find out what this little relationship is with one another because his name's turning up a lot, right? So they find out that Mr. David Johnson was a milk delivery driver for Klein Peters Farms Dairy. 
and the daycare. And Monique's daycare was on his route, you know, to deliver milk to the kids. According to the appeals document, the two met in 2006 when they were introduced by David's boss. He delivered to that daycare and the daycare that her sister owned also. They set up this little payment thing, and then one day Monique didn't have her checkbook or the money or whatever when David came in. And from there, kind of started a little flirtatious conversation between the two. They exchanged the numbers. They started talking on the regular. When they exchanging the numbers, y'all, my guy said, is this for business or is this for pleasure? <laughs> Monique said, <laughs> you decide. <laughs> right, so right, right, you right. already know what's going on. So the detectives, the detectives ask around and they're like, okay, we're hearing that there's rumors that you and this guy are seeing each other behind Corey's back. Which is real suspicious to them because they definitely asked her in the interview, were y'all happy? Were y'all having an affair? They like, you got all this going on behind Corey back. Corey got all this going on behind your back. We just got to dig a little deeper. At one time, she saw the even, they even talked to Corey's oldest daughter. And she says that she was up at the daycare one of these days and she seen Monique in the car with the milkman. And she took a picture, and she sent it to her auntie. Her auntie was like, leave it alone, child. That's not your business. And she was like, I just think I should tell my daddy. And she was like, it's not your business. You don't know what they're saying in that car. Just stay out of it, right? So she stayed out of it. The cops, they asking Monique. And she was like, no. No, we wasn't messing around and having no types of relationships. I do his taxes. I'm a businesswoman, okay? Mm-hmm. I've been doing his taxes for a few years now. But what she say, about four? Four, five years. So then I kind of start to look into the taxes. Like, okay, let's see what you've been doing on these taxes. And you know how we do tax. It's clear. She creates a false business account, like a fake car wash or something. And she make it look mm-hmm. like his kids were all attending the daycare so that she could get government assistance for the kids. And all of this money was going straight to his pocket. So they run his name and turns out he's no stranger to the police. He actually just got out. of. Okay, so I was trying to figure out this timeline. I think he worked as the milkman and then maybe he went to prison and then he came out because he just got out of prison. His wife left him and he went into prison because he pled guilty to misconduct with a minor, like sexual misconduct with a minor. So he was in prison for about four years and it turns out there relationship had a lot to do with money so like if he asked for a thousand dollars she gave it to him you know she was doing the scams for him so i guess it was his money maybe she was taking her her cut it was his scammed money that's my money i work for that shit so i just i also i feel like he had to have served prison after the milk route when they met because like how are you going to be a milk route with a preschool in your district if you've been convicted of mixed conduct with a minor Maybe he's not so on I'm the think, sex So I was trying to figure out this time, but I was trying to figure out, but the one that I'm going to assume was that Milkman went to prison, wife left, then got out because turns out they did a little bit more digging and he's staying in an apartment down, you know, where down where they at. But the apartment is not in his name. Mm. The apartment is in Monique's name. How? And Monique is also paying How? the bills at the apartment. This is the part I don't understand. You can't tell me that her nigga didn't know. Corey didn't know. Because they said that she handed him the cash for the bills. This nigga know what money coming in and out. You handle the bills. So how you ain't know you paying for a whole ass apartment? Doing getting cash? Money's got to be missing. So if maybe she's, if she's paying for it. Obviously, if she's putting the cash on the dresser for him to just go go out and actually pay the bills, like go to wherever you go to pay the bills, that means he's not really looking at the books. He's She's doing the books because she's doing the taxes. So he is just getting what needs to be done from his wife. She's 
handling the money. So I bet you he don't even, he probably trusts his wife so much with the money because they've been together for so long and have mm-hmm. built so much mm-hmm. together. Because you have to remember the way her mama tell it. They was having arguments about the money. Right. He was upset because she was spending too much time at Walmart and she was spending too much money, but he made her. First, she was saying he spent too much money on the house and was trying to be too extravagant. And he was like, You spending too much money on the furniture, but how you gonna have a nice ass house and not have nice ass furniture? So I don't know. I feel like he he probably is tapped into the money, you know what I mean? Somehow he was unaware that all this money was missing. Or or she was just keeping it in a separate account. So then she starts telling him, Oh, she starts telling David, she's like, Oh, you know, you my boo, I love you. I just I just wish my husband was dead. I just wish that he wasn't here anymore so we could just be live happily ever after or whatever. Which is like, <laughs> why do you want me dead? Just just divorce me. Like, you know. So David had a friend of his brother named Carl, but he called him his cousin. You know, but, you know, it's like, yo, your brother's friend. So David introduced Carl to Monique because, you know, Monique does taxes. She does. So that's how they met. And that's, <laughs> so that's how they met up because Carl lives all the way in Atlanta and got Monique doing the tax. So when you know you got somebody doing good taxes, you're going, you know, so, um, I mean, Monique's asked David, you know what? Do you think you, you know, Carl would kill my husband? You think he'd do the hit? And then uh, David's like, you know, uh, maybe, maybe you're going to have to, you're going to have to ask. So Monique hits up Carl and they've been texting back and forth on Facebook Messenger back and forth. They got calls back and forth. And now remember, Carl lives in Atlanta and he is what the detectives described as. They said he was a thug. And he had pictures online with drugs and guns. He was kind of a gangster. So they also look into the messages. And turns out Monique is being a little flirty flirty with Carl, you know. She has some sexy text messages in there and her DMs popping and shit. She's saying little shit like, oh, everyone will get theirs one day. And the suspense is killing me. Real, real fishy uh-huh. shit going on. Her messages continue. They're like, just be patient, you know. Soon come, baby, soon come. On July 2nd, the detectives see that Monique sent Carl a picture of her living room. And not so much the living room, but like the living room floor. Their floor had right. this big, nice floor de lis in the middle of it. Yeah, just one big floor de lis and like the center of like circles. Fancy tiling. Kind of looked like a um, fancy tiling. The mm-hmm. tile was placed to make a pattern and shit. And with the picture, she left a message saying, this is my living room floor. Now, this was July 2nd, so a week before Corey was murdered. And the detectives are like, all right, this is something we can work with. Let's go to Georgia and we're going to find Mr. Carl Michael. So when they meet up with Carl Michael Howard, Carl didn't really have much to say. They didn't really have much evidence on him and he knew that. And... The detectives really knew that they didn't have much concrete evidence to arrest him or anything. But when Carl Michael pulled up, he was driving a red Mazda Grand Am. The same car that was described lurking outside of the house a month before a murder. Literally a month to the day before the murder when Corey made that 911 call. So with nothing really in tow, they head right back to Louisiana. But... They pull his phone records. They pull his phone records, and when they and when they pull his records, they can see pingings of Carl's phone off the tower. Carl Michael went from Atlanta to Baton Rouge to Alice, Alice, wherever it's called. So they see this route on June 9, two thousand ten, Atlanta, Birmingham, Sidell, Baton Rouge, Addis. Uh, his phone pings then at the same tower around the kids' home. So this is. Also around the time where Corey made that 911 call about this car. They checked the phone records for a month later on July 9th. Same thing. His phone ping tracked him from 
Atlanta to Baton Rouge all the way to Addis. And then again, pinging him, his phone pinging on the tower closest to the Kit household. And it was at the same date and the approximate time of death. So they keep looking into his phone records and they're like, okay, every time that he comes to Baton Rouge, he seems to like he's hitting up Monique. He's hitting up David. And there's this other number that he keeps hitting up. So they're like, okay, let's find out who this other number is. And that local number is traced to a guy named Corey Knox. Now, this is Corey Knox, not Corey Kitts. Corey Kitts is the victim. Corey Knox is who we're talking about. Corey Knox sold drugs in the Baton Rouge area. So he's kind of the local drug dealer. And they wanted to find a relationship between Corey and Carl. But, like, you know, was it a local plug? Was he just, you know, getting his fix while he was in town? Or was it something a little bit deeper? They pull up to Corey Knox. They pull up Corey Knox's phone records, and they see that Corey Knox, he's never had communication with Monique. He's never had communication with David. He's only talked to Carl. So they go, and they see... They pull up on Corey Knox and they're looking for any evidence. They're trying to talk to him in his face, see his reaction, but they're also looking for another key piece of evidence. Remember, there's that red trans am. That was the month before the murder. But on the day of the murder, the neighbors didn't see a red trans am. The neighbors saw a silver SUV. So they're like, okay, we still haven't located this silver SUV. Maybe it's a clue. Maybe we don't. We don't know who this guy is. Maybe he's just a drug dealer. So Corey's like, look, I have no idea what happened. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Corey doesn't have a red trans am. Corey doesn't have a silver SUV, but Corey mama got a silver SUV. So the police are questioning him and questioning him. And then finally he's like, can I call my mama? <laughs> that was not the call you were supposed to He calls his That was not the call, but he, listen, he said he needed to call his mama. So he calls his mother. Mama. They excuse themselves, basically. He, you know everything at the police station is recorded. He calls her. He's like, hey. Uh, you remember when Legs asked me to go across the bridge a while ago? Uh, well, he trying to get me caught up in this murder. Detectives were like, got him. I don't know why they call Carmichael Legs. It's because my fella was bow-legged, and I mean bow-legged. Yes, Carmichael was very bow-legged. Yeah, he he was also a big guy. Big fella, okay? My man was about 425 pounds, and he was bow-legged as hell. They said that man couldn't move too fast. Yeah, that's Legs. So the detectives during the time of the investigation, detectives are working. But they're keeping their cards very close to their chest. They really haven't put a lot out to the media. And almost three years after the murder in March of 2013, the DA office finally starts handing out indictments. They hand out charges for second-degree murder and conspiracy to commit second-degree murder to Monique Kitts and Carl Howard. Only to Monique and Carl. Now, Monique's little boo thing, David Johnson, he goes ahead and he's like, look, I will testify uh, against her in court if you will go ahead and give me immunity. And the DA office is like, all right, bet. Corey Knox, him and his mama car went ahead and go ahead and pled guilty for accessory to first degree murder after the fact. Them two was singing. They was they was telling it all. So Monique, you know, she gets ready for trial. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial. Not all that money. Still can't hold you down. Money don't mean nothing. Can't do shit with money in jail. I mean, you can't, but better out here. It's much better out here. I'm talking about she didn't give him all that money. He couldn't be loyal enough to hold her down. I mean, to like, he snitched on her. <laughs> I'm snitching. <laughs> It was fun while it lasted. <laughs> Sometimes you got to live in the moment. So during the trial, David gets up and tells the entire story. Carmichael gets up and says he called Corey to help be the driver because there's only so much you can do when you got to wobble like that. 
goes into the house through an open door. In this house, you have to cross through the kitchen, the living room, and then you get to the master. They said that Carmichael right. walked through the house, shot Corey three times while he was asleep, and then staged the house to look like a robbery and fled. Are, we about, are you about to talk shit? How you think this big-ass man <laughs> That's exactly came in here and threw this shit around? No, he didn't throw anything around. He played, He broke a glass and placed three things over. He couldn't move. I mean, he couldn't move. Run so out how the is he house supposed to uh, and, do and this crime? He's just going to pick the biggest man to do it like they're not going to see him in there? That's a nigga you can't even, miss. Even if, even if you had that schedule all the way down pack, right? That does not mean he's a big... Your neighbors are going to see that. He wobbling in and out. I mean, that's just not the type of person you want to commit crimes for you. All right. Um. So they the prosecutors also bring Corey's sister onto the stand, and she had a little story to tell, too. So a couple of days before the murder, the sister-in-laws run into each other at the grocery store and they're like oh hey girl blah, 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 whatever and Corey's sister is like oh I have a spiritual morning walk would you like to join me on my walk and they're like okay sure um she's kind of ecstatic to do so so they um schedule the walk for whatever day I think it was the Thursday and they walk they, Corey's sister says that Monique was energetic she was talking she even said to her she admitted to her that she knew that Corey was cheating on her but nothing kind of out of the ordinary you know just like marital mm-hmm. woes they had been together for a while or whatever but the next day on the 9th they went for their early morning walk which was the day of the murder and Corey's sister said that she was kind of up she was constantly on her phone it wasn't like the day before where they really actually got to have a conversation like the walk together was purposeful she was on the phone the whole time later that day Corey's did so, you know, just a little coinky dink. And also, they were trying to figure out what is the mo- what is the real motive? And everybody said that maybe the money the motive was money because Corey had a $500,000 life insurance policy. And they asked Monique, they were like, "Oh, we got her" because they asked her in an interview. They were like, "Um, what's y'all insurance policy?" She was like, "Oh, you know, I don't know." They're like, have you looked into getting your funds? And she lied. And she was like, no, okay, I haven't. See, the thing is, this was the second time they interviewed her. I don't know why she lied, but this is the second time they interviewed her. So it's not like it was the very first day he's dead and she already touched it. They said she didn't touch it till five days after. They said that was very soon, though. But that's also... F- that's what I'm saying. But what about I, funeral costs? If a person passes... And we know that at least we need to have a memorial. How are you going to pay? Burials are expensive. And that's what the life insurance memorial is services for, right? Are expensive. Even if you exactly, it's for it's for to cover funeral expenses and to make sure that your family can take you know to help them maintain while you're gone. And that nigga was bringing in money, right? So he was only worth what five years worth of his salary to you if he was bringing a hundred k a year. And then another thing that the prosecution was trying to do, the detectives were trying to say, and they were going really in on the Tamara Hall show about this. And Tamara Hall literally rolled her eyes in their face. They said that, well, you know, when Monique was very young and when they met, she was skinny and beautiful and this, that, and the third. And you know, she had kids and time, so she was feeling very insecure. And so because of her weight gain and insecurities, she was looking for love from other men through money. And y'all, you have y'all, it's on Discovery Plus. Y'all have to watch how Tamara Hall rolls her eyes in this man's face because, like, <laughs> he has six hoes. She had one and a possum. And it wasn't like she was dealing with no itty bitty niggas either. Like they were all maybe that was her I don't think that you can just be like, Oh, she was insecure right. so she killed her husband. Like I that is a 
big reach like and just like how that's such a man's way of thinking like oh the woman must have felt insecure and to her man so she killed him no maybe he was shitty well, he was maybe saying, he was cheating he was on me with six other she women lost her look so he wasn't treating her as well as he used to but she, she has somebody else doing it so doing. so and he clearly has some as well so it's like goes back to my question to her why not divorce him instead of kill him on november 20th 2014 monique and carl michael were found guilty of second degree murder and conspiracy to commit second degree. They were both sentenced to life in prison. Damn, Carl Michael. For wobbling in there three shots. So, yeah, uh, that's the story. All right, y'all, it's time for... Well, I'm not black. I'm OJ. I ain't do it. But if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. <laughs> Let me tell you. What you got, Frank? Because there are quite a few mistakes. We can just, like, sure. bounce back and forth. One, 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 one. But if I did, <laughs> not have sent Carmichael in that house. I ain't do it. But if I did, if I don't have anybody in my immediate circle that I know can kill and get away with it, I'm not going to keep outsourcing for it. I ain't do it. But if I did, it. I would have not had my kids come and see their daddy dead laying on the bed. I ain't do it. But if I did, I would have made sure that there were burner phones. Especially if you I have somebody mean, traveling from another state. I ain't do it. But if I did, I wouldn't have lied so much to the police that's what made her look fishy she need to own her you know what i mean he was cheating i was cheating mm-hmm. yeah i took that life insurance policy i got a funeral to pay for it. exactly i ain't do it but if i did i would have never gone on those little spiritual walks with his sister like why are you talking to <laughs> you know what i mean in-laws but like <laughs> but like you're literally in his sister's face the day before he dies that's not a good look i ain't do it but if i did i would have not let them get away with me on that four picture Nigga, it's a nice-ass floor, and I wanted him to see it. Don't you like my fucking... It's, it's a nice floor. Right. It's a- uh, well, I, I think it was being worked on. It looked like there was somebody working on it because the Florida Lee is off-center, but... Uh, this is my floor. Look how it's fucked up. Not me. All right, so let's go on to parole or no parole. Okay. So they both got life, and it's very much a split in the family of Monique's side of the family, Corey's side of the family, and you can definitely tell that in, like, the two video options to watch this episode like the Tamron Hall side is definitely Corey's side of the family they're like keep her ass in prison she did this she's horrible she murdered him because she got found guilty of second degree murder and conspiracy to commit now if you watch the snapped episode it's very much from the viewpoint of Monique's family side and They're like, you know, we're hoping for one day to see her free because at the end of the day, she shouldn't have been found guilty for murder. Um, And she's innocent. There's no way that she she didn't kill him. I almost can agree with the whole like she didn't actually murder him, but it was conspiracy to commit. But like, girl, you did so much. I think it was just the, the mayhem and intricacies of the case that really get you over that edge for that second degree murder charge. But it goes to show like these snapped episodes. And we've done this a lot with snapped fatal attraction, all the ID shows. You just never know what side of the story you're going to get from these. And is it was fun comparing these two because it was almost like mm-hmm. you got two totally different stories. Yeah. Taken back to like uh on the episode the Shantarica Madden episode when you know she murdered Tina, you know Tina's boyfriend reached out to me. Y'all don't know this, but he reached out to me on my personal cuz can't nobody find Tazzy's personal. And one of the things that he said though was he regrets doing one of the episodes that he's on because the way that they twist the story for it to be shown and entertained and consumed by daytime television. You know, IDTV, that's daytime television. That's what everybody in your auntie's in and watching. So the way that they twist that story to make it more digestible for the viewing audience 
it twists the stories and tells a lot of untruths. And he was like, even my words were twisted. And I just hated how that story came. And he was talking about how he regretted it. So I wonder how many stories are we looking at and we're getting the twists. Because even think about the twins. Their snapped episode was very much like their mother part. That was probably the only. mm -hmm, That was the only. Yeah. That was like their mother party didn't drink. And she was a party girl. Like, so it's kind of interesting that people are like, oh, snap. But snapped isn't the end all be all. We're not the end all be all. We are not even reporters. They're at least somewhat reporters over there. I think they took an ethics class in journalism. We didn't. (laughs) Fuck this. (laughs) I definitely like when there's a bunch of shows. Can look at everybody's perspective. So, I mean, if if they put her appeal in and she gets through and they take away her secondary murder charge and keep her at conspiracy she'll probably get to see the light of day but as of right now they just i just don't feel wishing like and praying have enough, you know what i mean like i think their motive was feel like their evidence was weak i mean there's carl michael saying he did it but also there's some niggas well i was gonna say it's some niggas who admit to some shit for less time but he got life too yeah <sighs> all righty let's read some rev- let's get out of here let's read some reviews all right, one right here. This one says, child, I'm hooked. I can't seem to stray away from these episodes. I love it. I love it. I love. Keep doing y'all. That one's from a foodie who loves murder. All right, this one is from Bomb Sean. Yes. It says, this is my crack. I came across this podcast on TikTok, and baby, when I tell you I'm stuck, I'm stuck. It's the point I binged all the pod- I binged all the episodes in two days. Child, you did. I'm over here fiending bad for my weekly fix. Please don't stop this beautiful work, ladies. You women are so, it cut off. I'm cut off. So something. Thank you, Bombshine. Even with Meadow and Line. Out in the street. Meadow. All right, y'all. If y'all want to keep up with us, you can email us at sisterswhokillpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at sisterswhokill. Follow us on Instagram at sisterswhokillpod. You can follow us on TikTok at sisterswhokillpodcast. What else can you do? You can join the discussion group, but please, oh my gosh, like answer the questions and read the rules. Like, or I'm gonna shut it down. Oh, yes, if you want to be on the show, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna try and put the link in the discussion group. I mean, in the discussion group, I'm gonna try and put the link in the bio so that you can see how to leave us a voicemail of I didn't do it, but if I did, this is how to get away with it. Talk to us, we talk back. Bye. 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 Damn it.